0: The following episode may contain language that is not suitable for certain listeners. Listener's discretion is advised. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Cells and Circuits Podcast. I am your host, Chibe Zaonicor, and on this episode we'll be talking about the closure of Stadia's first party studios, which features Stadia Source. Then after that we will talk about the rise of Afrofuturism in animation. And then after that, we'll get into Amazon and its relationship with anime. And without further ado, let's jump right into it. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome to this episode of the Cells and Circuits podcast. I'm your host, Chibeze Anacor. And for this topic, um, we're going to be talking about the closure of Stadia's first-party studios. And, and for, this up, or for this segment, I have a guest with me. You know him. He's been on the show before and is no stranger. And I would say is a friend of the show since he's the first three-peat guest we've had on the Cells and Circuits podcast. It is Avery from Stadia Source. Avery, welcome back for a third time to the show. Um,
1: <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, glad glad to be on Cells and Circuits again.
0: <laughs> and um, for those of you who don't know... um. For those who are listening who don't know you, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Absolutely. Uh, so, I am the host of the Stadia Source Roundtable podcast for Stadia Source, the web's leading website for Stadia news and reviews. Uh, we are the, our tagline is uh, Stadia Source, your number one source for Stadia news and reviews. And so, I lead the digital team there, uh, all of our streamers on our YouTube channel. And uh, I do a little bit of streaming myself. Uh, on the weekends, and of course, then I host our, our Roundtable podcast as well, which you have been a, a two-time guest on. Uh, yep. And uh, yeah, I, I'm just a Stadia enthusiast, big fan of the platform, its ups and its downs, which we'll talk about today. And yep. uh, glad to be here to help uh, inform your listeners a little bit on what's going on with stadium.
0: Absolutely. Um, thank you. Um, and yes, I do watch... Stadia Source Roundtable podcast. Um, I try and even get in the chat from time to time. Man, Windows notifications. Anyway, (laughs) um, I try and get in the chat from time to time, and it seems like you guys have a nice mix of people on uh, the team, so um, it's very much appreciated. Um, I like her I especially like, um, or that's one of the things I look forward to on Thursdays, so um, very nice to have you once again on the show. So, uh, with that all being said, let's get into the topic um, for this segment, and this segment's topic is the closure of Stadia's first-party studios, so... On Monday, two days ago at the time of this recording, um, Google announced that Stadia's first-party studios, Stadia Games and Entertainment, is shutting down. So, in that announcement, which I can pull up as soon as I get my... As soon as I get my stuff together. Okay. So, and the, so the, um. <laughs> all right. So the, so the um, blog post is titled Focusing on Stadia's Future as a Platform and Winding Down SG&E. So, um, in the article, it mentions that Of course, Stadia Games and Entertainment is shutting down, but also that Stadia's technology has been proven to work at scale and that they're interested in lending out some of the tech to third-party or to third-parties to potentially start up their own cloud services and we can get into that in a bit. But also, um, it mentions that Google Stadia is expanding their efforts to help game developers and publishers take advantage of the platform. So, it is, pr- it is a pretty um, carefully worded article. And we can talk about that um, in just a bit. And so... Um, Upon reading this article for the first time, Avery, what were your thoughts on it?
1: So so funny story on on this. Uh this article came out at three o'clock on Monday. Uh, three o'clock eastern time and at three o'clock eastern time i was going on a business call with my ceo and my vice president and a very very important client of ours and so i had all these i had all my windows closed i had my twitter closed i had my slack closed i wasn't even in any of these things that call lasted an hour and a half about 45 minutes into the call i was um we were kind of taking a bit of a lull. So I just kind of looked over and, and reopened a couple windows and boy, howdy, what did I see? Everything in the in the world. I had DMs from people be like, Hey, we're going live on this in five minutes. Can you get on the panel? And I had our, our internal slack for stadium source was blowing up. And so I didn't really even get a chance to look at this or digest it until an hour and a half after the, the news came out. But at that point I read through the article and I think I did a thing that I think a lot of people didn't do, and we'll, we'll talk about that. Yep. I read the whole article, and yep. I saw that on the whole article, they were saying Stadia Games Entertainment, the game-making side of Stadia, that has heretofore not even released so much as a screen capture from a game in development, is going away. They're going to stop making their own games, which again, they've never made one, but they're going to stop trying and instead focus on the world-class technology of game streaming. That is what has taken the world by storm and uh, make sure that they have the most access to that for publishers, continue to develop the tools, continue to partner with game developers, large and small, to deploy gaming on the cloud. So uh, what I very quickly saw in the in in Stadia Twitterverse let's say mm-hmm. was an absolute apocalyptic sky is falling nightmare scenario in which Stadia is now on the verge of collapse and the entire thing's going to be shut down and here we go yeah. and i immediately thought eh, no that's not what this article says the article says that they're not going to make games anymore a thing they never did to begin with so no stadia is not going anywhere and and over the past uh kind of two and a half days mm-hmm. um i have been uh i i don't know that my twitter notifications have ever not been lit up uh, having conversations with people uh, across the industry uh, across the, the the twitter sphere to right. basically reinforce that concept that Stadia's not going anywhere, they're just not making games anymore because they never made one to begin with, a- right. and that that was where that is where the confusion has kicked in. I actually had a couple people, you know, my everybody at my work knows that I do this silly Stadia stuff. They see all the controllers in the background of all of our Zoom calls. And so I, I got a couple of messages yesterday. Hey, is Stadia shutting down? I'm like, no. The articles that you are hearing about on all these websites that are taking advantage of this are wrong, and they're misleading people, or at least they're being phrased in a clickbait headline manner. We can certainly talk about that. So, yep. my initial reaction was, oh, they're closing down Stadia Games and Entertainment. Stadia is fine. Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, because, I mean, I'm sure that, um, you know, with all of the, like, sensationalists, you know, journalists and influencers, like, you know, those articles and videos are already out there if they haven't, or if they're not in the process of being made. Um, And we can certainly talk about that later. Um, but um, what do you think that this means for um for um Google's partners, so like you know the developers, the publishers, and um well, yeah, the developers and publishers
1: yeah for for them, actually, I think this has two ramifications for them. the one obvious one right off the bat is stadia is taking all the money that they were burning in being a game studio and redirecting that money to being a game platform and i think it's an important distinction because right now we don't we don't know how far the the stadia games and entertainment team got they might have had a proof of concept they might have been prepping a demo for ea but what we do know is they didn't land they didn't land the plane at a certain point the people surrounding the conference room table had to say go no go and they decided no go and they made that decision and it was not an easy decision 150 people got laid off in that move or are being redirected to other places within google so it's not an easy decision that they made but they had to make a choice and so what we know now is whatever budget was out there for that as long as stadia the division gets to keep that budget that's going to go back into building the youtube enhancements building the platform infrastructure speeding up the blades adding more blades adding more servers in more places bringing it to more countries so this to me says it becomes a more stable platform the other part of this that i don't think people have really thought that much of is if i were a capcom or an EA or a square Enix or an Ubisoft. And I'm looking at all of the studios that Microsoft owns and all of the studios that Sony own. And knowing that my games have to compete now against Bethesda games that are, now going to be locked in to the Xbox ecosystem or they have to compete against the Spider-Man 4 or uh, the Spider-Mans and yeah. the um, Final Fantasy 7s and all of those platform exclusives from in-house studios. It, you know, Obviously, uh, Square Enix was uh, it, it's a contracted exclusive, but right. they're now looking at this and saying, we've got one last competitor today. We have one less studio putting out games that somebody will spend their money on instead of spending their money on ours. If I were Capcom, EA, Square, Ubisoft, Devolver, etc., I'd actually gonna be welcoming that news because it's one less player in the market. It's one less uh, it's it's one less box art on the Stadia store for somebody to click on instead of clicking on mine and giving me that sixty bucks. I think to them this would be a welcome change.
0: Or seventy bucks, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> depending
1: on what part of the what part of the room you're in, yeah. Uh, yeah. or if you're a Canadian, a thousand and sixteen bucks, you know.
0: <laughs> so um, yeah, I do think that um, with, um, or with or like you said, um, like if you're a Capcom or EA or Ubisoft, yeah, you do have one less competitor, but also it could open up the door for um, third parties to use to um, make their own cloud gaming services. In fact, I could imagine a scenario where Google would probably want, um, you know, like say Google has like some sort of a contract where, you know, you use Stadia's tech and then, um, in exchange for using our tech, you have to bring the game to the platform, or like, um, and we can, or we can pay you, or we can pay you, um, like you know, x amount of money, um, and it will be optional for you to have to bring your games to Stadia, and then, if we pay you. Y amount of money, which is going to be greater than X um, in this case, um, you know, to give you incentive to port your games over to Stadia. Like I could see that sort of a situation happening, you know, where Google, um, um, like, leases their tech out to different companies in order for them to make their own... Uh, cloud gaming services what do you think
1: yeah i mean if you're it, it, it is a very easy future to forecast where you go to cloud.ubisoftconnect.com or cloud.eaplay.com or cloud.squareenixsite.org whatever and you are now in a stadia blade whether you know it or not playing The items from the Ubisoft collection or the EA play or the whatever stores or the devolver stores or, you know, companies that would not necessarily be able to do that on their own. But if it's, you know, 2K and they want to put all their sports games and it's, you know, sportscloud.2k.com or whatever and that is possible now stadia in the blog post they specifically mention that they are they see an opportunity an important opportunity to work with partners seeking a gaming solution all built on stadia's advanced technical infrastructure and platform tools so that means they are shifting focus from a business to consumer model exclusively to a business-to-business model where they are saying, hey, Square, you've got a pretty robust back catalog. If you can put it on Stadia, then you can absolutely have a white-label cloud infrastructure that happens to work with any Bluetooth controller or any USB controller, that happens to work on any Android device or any iOS device, that happens to work on the Chromecast uh, or or on LG TVs or wherever else they're going to roll out the Stadia tech, and all you have to do is put it on our blades. And in addition to that, since you've already done it anyways, go ahead and drop Final Fantasy into the store and make a few extra bucks that way uh, for people who want to play natively on Stadia. It is a no-brainer for these companies to just leverage this tech. And we know that that is happening. The uh, Amazon Luna tech uh, is what is powering... Uh, or I'm sorry, not Amazon Luna. The... the um, GeForce Tech is what is powering some of the cloud gaming that is happening on the Switch right now, um, yep. particularly in, in other countries, because NVIDIA is licensing the tech underneath it to companies like Ub, uh, Ub, Ubiquitous or whatever, Ubitas, whatever it's called, um, to to run the back end of there. So it is a very logical platform to be able to say, imagine a scenario in which Google says, okay, Nintendo, let's form a billion-dollar contract here. We're going to be we'll be your cloud infrastructure, top to bottom. And because you're running on an Android kernel inside that Switch, you can have a cloud infrastructure tomorrow for Super Mario Odyssey 2 in the cloud or Breath of the Wild 2 in the cloud. That is a very logical place for this to go and a very attractive place for this to go for these companies that – they're game companies – It's exactly what we're seeing here. Google is not a game company. Google is a tech company. They're building tech. And that's what they've done is they built amazing tech. They're going to game companies and saying, you're not tech companies. You're game companies. Let us handle the tech. You handle the games. It's a perfect partnership. Google trying to be a game company, it could have worked. It clearly hasn't. And therefore, it's better that they find other ways to to keep the lights on because otherwise nobody gets stadium.
0: Right. Yep. Um, And (laughs) I think that um, it's important for people to realize this because um, if you work for a company, um, you work for a specific department in that company and each department has a budget so obviously, if Stadia Games and Entertainment was starting to exceed that budget, and like the article says, exponentially, like, of course it was going to be gutted. Like, of course. Yeah. There, um, there
1: are very intelligent people with mbas uh sitting around a, a, a laptop that has a spreadsheet on it looking at that line and watching it go either red or black and saying uh, nope there's got to be a point at which we we stop this i was, say I, I said on twitter today somebody was asking about you know will you they stadia just should have invested more they should have invested more and i'm like at a certain point you can sit at that slot machine and keep pulling the handle keep putting money in and keep pulling the handle, keep putting money in and pulling the handle. But if you start to realize that you can't make your next car payment anymore because of the amount of money that you put in that slot machine, you stop, you get up and you get away from the slot machine. And that is what businesses make that decision every day, all day. Sometimes you try really hard really hard to make it work i have no doubt in my mind that those 150 people that used to work at stadia games entertainment were trying every day composers writing music art directors crafting scenery um you know people who work in lighting tech on video games making sure that shadows were falling appropriately uh, on on the models that the modelers were making in this video game writers that were writing the storylines for these i have no doubt in my mind that every single day they walked into work saying we are making game x and project x eventually will be released on stadia and it's going to be amazing nobody no sports team walks onto the field expecting to lose the game or or trying or wanting to lose the game every right. time you go out on that field you're trying to win and i have no doubt in my mind that all of the people who worked at Steady Games Entertainment walked in every day thinking, we're going to finish this game. We're going to finish this game. And at a certain point, the VPs and the EVPs and the C-suite got around that table and said, all right, let's get your report. Where are you at? How far are you along? You had the following 12 KPIs. Did you hit them? And Jade Raymond, bless her heart, Shannon Studstill had to stand there and go, we missed this one, this one, this one, and this one. And they said, all right, those KPIs were the reason you have a job. You don't have a job anymore. And it sucks. It's terrible. It's horrible on an emotional level. But on a business level, that's how businesses work all day, every day. You have to not throw away bad money, good money after bad. You just can't do it. And so... There was just a deadline. They missed the deadline. And that means that Stadia had to say, we can't do it. This hill is too tall. We're not ready to climb it right now. We're not ready to be a game company. Let's pull the plug. That also does not mean that that might not change in the future. It is right. absolutely, pl- there's nothing stopping them from opening a studio again down the road. There's nothing stopping them from plunking a big chunk of cash down on another studio like Typhoon or whoever else with a track record of actually producing games instead of just the one, which, you know, Typhoon did. And Journey I Here is a very great game. I haven't played it yet, but hey, it's free on Pro right now. But there's nothing stopping them from buying another studio down the road. They've done it before. Google bought Motorola to fix the Nexus line and actually produce good phones. Google bought Fitbit to fix Android Wear and actually produce good wearables. Google bought Android. A lot of people don't even realize Android did not start out with Google. Android was its own thing that Google bought. They do it all the time. So there's nothing stopping them down the road from saying, okay, our platform's robust. We've got hundreds of games on it. We're ready to revisit this. And I expect that they will absolutely do that if it ever becomes a situation where it seems reasonable for them to do.
0: I, or I do agree with that. And I think that, or like you said, um, it's entirely possible that Google could... Um, just come back down the line and we've seen that with, or like you said, Motorola. Um, and then they later bought out, um, most of the HTC team for the pixel line of phones, which still going strong in their fifth generation. Um, and then they just bought Fitbit, um, to hopefully improve Wear OS, um, which I have the Tic Watch Pro 3 on my wrist right now. Um, I per- I defected Apple Watch. I couldn't I could ah.
1: I, I did it. <laughs> I moved I I moved <laughs> I moved to the fruit side of the force. Granted, right in front of that is my Pixel uh, my Pixel 4. So it's not like I'm not, you know, still still in the world.
0: Right. Um and I mean, you know, this is a great watch and I mean it has the latest silicon in it, but I mean, Wear OS as a platform just has stagnated for the past few years, and it seems like um, with the acquisition of Fitbit, they're trying to fix that by making better devices. Um, and so, and, and importantly, by
1: taking a company that already knew how to do it successfully, that's yeah. the thing that was was missing is. You you can hire people. I have there's obviously Jade Raymond has success. Some of the Ubisoft's biggest titles came out of her. Shannon Studstill had success. Uh, yeah. These these folks were successful in their own right. Phil Harrison mm-hmm, mm-hmm, success. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you if you don't count every other platform he's ever been involved in launching. So obviously, but that's not enough. You need. Institutional knowledge, you need infrastructure, you need a team, you need history that knows how to do these things. With Fitbit, they get an entire company who the only thing they've ever done was build smart watches and build fitness trackers. And Fitbit bought Pebble, a company that themselves were the only thing they did was. So, you know, when Google bought Motorola or bought out most of HTC, it was to acquire institutional knowledge, patents, IP, all of that stuff to set them up for success. I, I have no doubt that the folks behind Typhoon Studios are really talented people, but I think there was like five or 10 of them. It was not a big studio. They had published one title ever. Yeah. That title was under an exclusivity agreement anyway, so it couldn't even be brought to Stadia until now. And yeah. the head of the studio doesn't understand how to tweet properly. <laughs> That's a whole other discussion for a whole other time. So it's not like they bought an Ubisoft where right. it was, you know, Ubisoft, an alphabet company, whereas this is Fitbit, a Google company. Uh, you know, right. Motorola was a Google company. I fully expect at some point in the future, I said this uh, on, uh, on our last episode of, of the round table, we did uh, predictions for 2021 and none of us predicted this mind you, uh, <laughs> but I did predict that at some point in 2021, I said, I want to make a long shot prediction. We're going to hear of a studio acquisition from Google and it is going to be crazy. It's going to be like an Ubisoft level. It's going to be a billion dollar transaction and they still could do that. There is no reason they couldn't buy crystal dynamics from the tomb Raider series. There's no reason they couldn't buy Ubisoft. There's no reason they couldn't buy devolver digital, that they couldn't buy uh, any of these ones that haven't already been bought. You know, 2k that haven't been bought by somebody else, yeah. even if it would be a multi-billion dollar acquisition. And then still, do exactly what Microsoft did with Bethesda. the The Bethesda deal was a billion, a multi-billion dollar acquisition, and yeah. Microsoft has the cash. Google yeah. has a one point three trillion dollar market cap. They could drop a billion dollars on another game studio every day for the next ten days and not even eat one percent of that of that market cap. So there's no reason that that couldn't be done in the future. No reason at all. And I fully suspect that one day when they're ready to start producing their own games again, which they might end up being unless they really do take a very much different B2B kind of platform, I think it'll happen. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if it was Square Enix or Capcom or Konami or somebody else with a robust catalog and 20 or 30 years underneath them instead of, a studio that produced one game with five people in it.
0: Yeah, I I fully agree with that. Um, and one other thing that um, we definitely need to mention is that um, with third-party um, developers and publishers, um, and with Google no longer trying to compete with them, um, they can allocate that money towards, um, bringing more games over to Stadia. So with that in mind, um, do you think that it's necessary, it's absolutely necessary for them to get the big ticket games that everyone's playing? Like the apex legends and the fortnights and the call of duties and the rocket leagues of the world. Do you think that that's, or that should take a higher priority now? Or do you think that, um, um, or do you think that they should just continue going um, the trajectory that um, they are?
1: So I will take issue with your question. I don't (laughs) doubt in the least that those conversations have been going on for months fortnite will be on stadia minecraft may very well end up on stadia because it's on literally everything else apex legends will be on stadia call of duty will be on stadia we already know that stadia is willing to drop a lot of money to make sure that games make it to their platform Uh, a couple months ago there was a leak from capcom that yeah. indicated that Stadia was dropping $10 million on Resident Evil 7 and Resident Evil 8. With one of those, you're going to get half now, and you'll get half later when you actually deliver kind of arrangements. Right. So we're going to get... And that was one company with one leak for yeah. one for two games. I have no doubt in my mind that there are contracts on desks in Redline right now with Square and EA and everybody else uh and epic uh and steam uh, valve and whoever else to make sure that the biggest new games and the current top games are going to make it on the platform i have no doubt whatsoever in that and the reason being that's the first thing anybody asks you when when they say oh i want to try out stadium do they have fortnite do they have apex Legends? do they have call of duty do they have madden fifa well some of these we're getting so they know that they know that and at a certain point it just comes down to the two cfos talking and saying all right i want you to add another zero to that check and the other people saying i'll go half of that and and that horse trading happens and that's contract redlining and eventually the contract gets signed we will never know the the capcom leak was a fluke stadia will never publish these details and the, the companies themselves will never publish these details in fact we can safely assume that if Capcom was getting basically 5 million a game, that all of these other studios are being offered very similar pockets of money because, or if they weren't before, they sure as heck are now because that information is out there. So, uh, so, so, you know, uh, Activision's kind of leaning over there and going, so, you know how you offered us 2 million for, uh, wow to come to the platform. We're going to go ahead and move that number up a little bit. Like, that is absolutely happening right now or, or happened right after that leak. And I have no doubt that these games are going to make it on the platform. Problem is, it just takes time. Everybody, right. I get that the, the pandemic did this thing to us. The pandemic did this thing to us where time doesn't work properly anymore it's it's like we're in the uh, you you're you you like nerdy uh, uh, pursuits. I'm sure you've watched a little bit of Star Trek. It's like we're in some kind of temporal distortion where sometimes yeah. time is moving very fast and sometimes time is moving very slow and sometimes it was March yesterday and it's August today and nobody knows why. That is when you apply that to stadia, people forget they forget that stadia, is 14 months old 15 yep. months old that's it stadia is not even speaking full words in baby language like stadia is is still in diapers it has not had time and these studios have not had time perfect example of this cyberpunk 2077 one of the biggest games of last year took eight years to develop and they had to completely outsource the entire port process to a whole nother company because they couldn't do it in house. So if you are an EA trying to get FIFA onto the platform I guarantee you they started work on FIFA for Stadia before Stadia was even announced and before FIFA was even released on other platforms. I know they had to have done that because the, the record holder right now is destiny two at six months. And that was with Google employees inside the building. So there's no way that these companies have not been working on this under lock and key NDAs, ironclad lawsuits waiting to happen for Years, a couple of years, but even then, it still takes time. The stadium platform yep. wasn't ready for even the first players to play on it until November of 2019. Yeah, 14 months ago, 13 months ago. So the the fact that that people just, well, where's the game? Where's I want it now? Why is it? Why hasn't it been released yet?
0: Because it takes time. It yep. takes
1: years to make the game to begin with, and if the only thing you've ever been doing is developing that game for PlayStation, Xbox, and... Excuse me. Uh, PlayStation, Xbox, and PC. Mm -hmm. Maybe Switch. Then... You weren't planning on having to redevelop your entire game to run on the Linux platform with Vulkan APIs in the cloud. This was not a part of your work stream at any point, so now you had to completely rearrange workflows. Now, we've been told, and, and we we have developer contacts who have told us, it's really not that hard. If you were already developing on Unity, which a lot of smaller studios are, then the APIs are there. The built-in's there. You simply target, Unity, hit save. It's not really that simple. There's there's more that goes into it, but yeah. it's already there. If you're using Unreal Engine, <laughs> Unreal Engine, baked-in Stadia support. But if you are EA using Frostbite, an engine you developed in-house, then you can't. You can't just flip a switch and suddenly your game is on the platform. Right. If you are Bethesda, if you are Square, if you are any of these companies that are not using stock and trade systems then it's a it's a greater process so i have no doubt that we're going to see these games we already know they the stadia said publicly there are 400 plus games already on the roadmap coming in the next few years so i have no i I have no doubt in mind that there are not 400 teeny tiny games that are going to make it through the stadia filters stadia is a very highly curated platform and they are not letting steam shovelware onto the platform if you go onto the eShop on your switch half of the stuff in there is absolute trash stadia's not letting that stuff onto the platform so there's no way that these 400 games do not include a call of duty a modern warfare a mass effect trilogy or the mass effect remastered even though it was yep. not did not have a stadia logo there's no way that these these games apex legends valorant fortnite are not coming i'm in entirely confident of that i will stake i will bet somebody money that we will get some of these games by the end of this year or at least by the end of next year because google is betting money on it and they're dropping checks and those checks are clearing and all it takes now is time i've said this before too it doesn't matter how quickly you want that cake to bake once you put it in the oven it takes as long as it Uh, takes to bake You You can add as many more bakers to the process as you want. You can buy the best ovens in the world. You can hire professional chefs to come in and bake for you. But once that cake goes in the oven, it takes exactly as long as it takes to bake. It takes exactly as long as it takes to code a game. And no faster and no sooner. You can crunch all you want. You can add more staff. But you can only have so many people working on that tree. And at a certain point, you can add six more developers, but they're not going to get that tree into the scenery any faster than the the one guy that was already working on it. It takes as long as it takes to code a game, and it's not going to work any faster, just because there, there's only so much money Google can throw at that. Time, money, people. Those are the three things they have, and we know they're investing in people, and they're investing in money. The only thing we need to give them is time.
0: Yeah. Um... And with games, like you said, they take years to make. Um, And actually, this is, or our our last point um, just brought us to my next question. Um, Do you think that some of the people who um, got um, essentially um, reassigned to different parts of either Stadia or Google, do you think that they could, be um still working on or working with third parties to get their games to the platform like a qloc or a panic button like the switch has um, do you think that that could also be possible um for some of these people yeah i mean i, I
1: definitely think you know they have a not everybody, but they do right. have now a team of people who are used to the concept of coding video games on Stadia. It could we 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 don't know, and we may never know what platforms they're using. These they could be doing Unreal Engine in house. They could have been doing uh, Unity in house. It's it's a safe bet that they were probably doing one or the other because otherwise that means they would have been developing their own uh, platform, their own uh, game plat. Uh, Game development platform not you know stadia is the is the, is the platform of, of distribution but they would have been developing their own engine is the is the word i wanted um right. in-house and that seems possibly unlikely for their first for their freshman effort i would have expected that they would be going through unreal engine or unity so they now have at least 10 15 20 30 60 80 developers in-house that have experience developing on these platforms so they, we already know that they had Stadia employees going to Bungie and going to Ubisoft to uh, and going to id Software to work on the the Assassin's Creed and Doom Eternal and Destiny two. So yep. now they have more staff that can do that. I. If you're an art director at former Stadia Games Entertainment, I don't know that there was much more room for you. Maybe there are other products that could use that, but probably not. If you were a sound designer, if you were a a whatever, a writer, you're probably not, you're probably got a pink slip. But if you were a developer, you might have been redirected. Or if you were somebody who was working on YouTube APIs or working on, uh, you know, voice chat or WebRTC or any of that kind of stuff, You've probably been reallocated somewhere else in the company if you took the job uh, that was offered to you. Not only that, if you are a Devolver Digital or an id Software or an Ubisoft or whoever else, there's some Stadia experts that are now on the job market. Um, I, I follow a bunch of Stadia people on Twitter and I saw, you know, a particularly leader, project leads. Were retweeting uh, employees that got laid off, saying, uh, "Hey, if you're looking for an art director, uh, you know I'm I'm looking for for your job. I can do the following six things." And right underneath that were studio after studio after studio saying, "Hey, check out our job postings. Hey, we we would love to have you check out our listings. Check out our listings." Uh, one of the, one of the art directors from Stadia had nine or ten studios in her uh, in in her mentions saying, "We've got openings. Click on the link." And so all of a sudden, all of these studios have people with Stadia experience that are going to be getting jobs there. Uh, That might be the port studios like Qlock, or it might be the actual real native studios uh, who have those. So that right there... Sad for Stadia Games Entertainment. Big boon to the concept of getting games on the platform. If you are an EA and you suddenly have a resume from a developer who worked inside the building, assuming their contracts allow them, and it seems like they, they are, because you've had people like Aaron Hoffman John... um retweet hey we had great people and other people would be great to hire them so presumably there's no there's no uh, cross compete issues well <laughs> there's certainly no compete issues now because they don't have a studio to compete with um right. so if you are an if you are an ea trying to get that next game out on the platform you can now say yes i will absolutely hire you you're working on the the port team for stadia and go teach them how to get this job done faster that is going to be a huge benefit to those companies. So where Stadia Games and Entertainment's loss is absolutely the gain for a lot of studios out there who are looking for Stadia-specific talent. And we see job postings for that. Sega has a job posting up uh, that that made the rounds a few days ago for uh, someone whose experience is in cloud development, and they specifically name-check Stadia in there. So there is a job market for these people, and SGE just created openings for for a whole bunch of folks uh, and opportunities for a whole bunch of folks being laid off is never a good thing and hopefully these people land on their feet very very quickly hopefully there were severances and things of that nature um but or hopefully they had a little bit of notice i haven't i haven't currently seen any stories come out about we just walked in today and got a layoff I, i haven't seen anything like that so hopefully they got a little bit of notice to to try to network for that but Right. There is the silver lining to this particular cloud. <laughs> it had to happen at some point. Oh, boy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man. The, 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 um, other thing that I
1: wanna, the other thing that I kind of wanted to say, uh, and, and it, it was talking about cyberpunk specifically... This was, th- yeah. there's been a discussion. I think I had like 150 tweets going back and forth on my, on my timeline today, specifically about this concept of why Stadia again, why didn't they just stick it through or why, why is it okay that they, that they, that they didn't land this plane? And yeah. I kept thinking about Cyberpunk 2077. It took eight years to, from, from conception To deployment it cost estimates right now are 313 million dollars to get out the door from a studio that has been around for 26 years that has already published some of the top games out there the witcher series is one of the best-selling video game franchises of all time and if they couldn't get, and let's be perfectly honest, the launch of Cyberpunk 2077 didn't really go so well for them. If you weren't playing on a Series X or a PlayStation 5 or a high-end PC, you had a terrible experience playing Cyberpunk 2077, unless you were playing on Stadia, in which case it went just fine. But... If that studio, with three decades of experience, having an eight-year lead to get the game out and spent $313 million on it, could not produce a non-buggy game, at the end of the day, it still was relatively well-received from the people who could receive it. If it took them that long to get that game out the door... Stadia games and entertainment had no institutional knowledge. They had no history that a couple of people who had some experience and presumably the people who applied for their jobs came from other studios, but they didn't have 26 years. And at a certain point, the, the Stadia team The Stadia corporate team had to be looking at this going, are we really going to put hundreds of millions of dollars into a single game that, let's also be perfectly honest, is going to go out on Stadia Pro because that's the model that we set for ourselves, which means we're not going to get sales off of the majority of it. And the people who do buy it, it's going to sell 10,000 copies, 20,000 copies, 50,000 copies, 100,000 if we're lucky. It's not going to sell the millions that Cyberpunk did. It's going to sell 100,000. They had to sit there and make this decision to say, you know what, I don't care how close to the finish line we were, it was not going to be a money-making endeavor for us, it was not worth our time, we had to put the no-go on it. And if that is the situation that Stadia Games Entertainment found themselves in, why are we not willing to let them fail? I understand it hurts. It sucks to think that this thing, we were all expecting this crazy cloud, amazing gaming that was going to have AI and machine learning and all this stuff that was going to make it the the only things you could only do on a cloud native game. And it was going to be from Stadia and using Star Labs technology from Aaron Hoffman John, the ML Maven and all this stuff. Yeah. And it sucks that we're never going to get to play that game. It really does, or at least yeah. it's going to be years down the road before we're going to get to play that game. But why are they not allowed to fail? How many of us have, have ever said with the best of intentions, I'm going to go in that kitchen tonight, and I'm going to take that recipe, and I'm going to make an amazing dish, and you cook, and you cook, and you cook, and it turns out like crap? How many of us have never been in that position, Right. How many right. of us have never worked at a job where we had a project or a goal or a deadline and we just did not hit it? Or we worked very, very hard on this project only to have our bosses turn around and say, we did the math. It's not going to work out for the company. It's not going to be worth our time. We're shutting it down. It's happened to everybody. Most everybody has been in that situation. And yet all day long on my timeline were people saying, well, Google should have just tried harder. I'm, I bet they tried real hard. I'm going to bet everybody at that company worked real hard every day to get that game out the door and just couldn't do it. They simply failed. They went out on the field, they gave it their all and reality scored more points than ambition. And that happens every day, all day to everybody. So it sucks that it failed, but it's just what happened it's terrible but we all just kind of have to be okay with that us being mad the other thing i will say is people being mad at that situation is not going to change that situation nobody's going to get their job back because 60 people tweeted
0: dang it stadia
1: like it's just it's not again it's not reality
0: right yeah um i mean it definitely sucks to lose your job especially during the pandemic and my heart goes out to everyone at Stadia Games and Entertainment that was affected by this decision. Um, but uh, I mean, if it prevented like the next, you know, Crucible from coming out or <laughs> something like that, you know, it may have ended up being the better decision. Um, and um, and yeah, like you said, I mean, why isn't Google allowed to fail? I mean, clearly they've done it so many other times that there's a website dedicated to how many times that they have failed, killed by Google.com. Um, well, uh, well,
1: I don't know if we, I think we've talked about this before. I can't remember we talked about this before, yeah. but I do not like the Google Graveyard, and I do not believe that it exists, because if you look at the Google Graveyard, almost all of the products inside of it are still alive in other forms. Google Wave became the real-time collaboration tools inside Google Docs. Rightly became Google Docs. Google Plus became Photos and Hangouts. So if Stadia dies, if this move here is the death knell for Stadia, Google still owns the patent to a ton of technology. They still own a lot of IP. They still own a lot of code and a lot of server blades that are not just going to go in the trash. So if Stadia dies, that's going to suck, but I'm going to bet that it's dying, and then all you have to do is go to the Google Play Store on your Android device and find Assassin's Creed Odyssey and hit go, because it's just going to be there. It's just going to work for you. I'm going to bet, or you're going to get the... Ubisoft Connect Cloud and the EA Play Cloud and the Square Enix Cloud and all those other things that are that live off of the tech. They didn't there's almost no major product line or 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 project that Google has done over time where the tech underneath it where it went away, but the tech and everything and everything with it, there's there. I, I don't know that there are any projects that Google has ever done where the whole thing disappeared and every last bit of code and every API that was ever created and every physical device and every just no nope, gone throw it on the bin. I don't think it's ever happened. It might mean that we don't have Stadia anymore. But the tech, cloud gaming is here to stay and Google will be a leader in that space or the company that buys it from them for $5 billion will be the next leader in that space. Or, you know, if Amazon buys it off of them or GeForce Now or whoever else, I I don't think we've seen, I I don't think this is the end of Stadia. I don't think this even begins to spark the end of Stadia.
0: Yeah, we were going to get to that Um um, but we might as well talk about it now. Um so um yeah. Or like you or like we've said earlier, you know, there have been a lot of like sensationalist headlines and um YouTube videos and things like that with the, you know, see Stadia's dead. But what they didn't realize was that um, it's just the first-party studio. I mean, I don't think that um, when, say, Microsoft launched the Xbox, like, they didn't own Halo. I think they bought that from Bungie. Um, And so, like, you start to see that, um, you know, maybe maybe google was trying to do two thing or too many things at once and you know they just had to gut one of those things to save all of the other ones and that's something that a lot of businesses do i mean like did microsoft not just kill mixer like how many months ago not even a year ago um but yet you don't hear the same or you don't see the same articles. You don't see the same, uh, YouTube videos saying, you know, see Xbox is dead because they killed Mixer. Um, but, um, but like, what are your thoughts on like how this looks from like A PR perspective because it seems to have played into a lot of the fears that uh, people had with Google products, and you know, the media just had a field day with it. So, um, what are your thoughts on how it looks from from that? Yeah,
1: it's it is it is standard operating procedure for tech sites and and gotcha youtube channels to take any piece of stadia news that is not glowingly positive and turn it into an obituary it is standard operating procedure there i had so many people linking out all these articles about all these well is this the end of stadia is this the final nail in the coffin stadia gives up on no stadia made a choice to redirect And if you're driving down the wrong road long enough, at a certain point, you have to stop the car, turn around and go back to a road that will get you to your destination. I'm sorry. Stadia is a for-profit company. Google is a for-profit company. They're not in this because of their altruistic desire to bring gaming to the masses. They're in this because they want to make some money. They need to increase that share price just a little bit more, put it to the moon, get their GameStop bucks. That's what they're here for. And so all of these websites, these gaming sites, these tech sites, and these YouTubers saw this as an opportunity to go, aha, see, we told you Stadia is going to die now. Well, they were saying that six months ago, they were saying that nine months ago, and they were saying that two days after Stadia launched, they've been saying it ever since Stadia started. I understand that it's not a great look. Uh, it's not a great look to say we tried to do a thing and we failed. So we're, we're not going to do that thing anymore, but we got a saying at Stadia source. We have a saying that I, I've foisted upon them because I've had this saying for a decade now, you have to be awesome where you are, before you try to be awesome somewhere else, Stadia is awesome at the tech and they're only improving it more and more and more and so their goal right now is to be the best, the best cloud gaming platform that exists. And they realized very wisely that they were simply not going to be the best game production plat- company. Right. Uh, and so these these folks, I, I fear what happened here. Not only did it happen in, not only did it happen in these journal in these in these articles it also happened on twitter it also happened in the stadia community it also happened on reddit and wherever else everybody i I actually i actually took phil harrison's article and i put it into a word counter there were 390 words in that statement and about 200 some odd words in they say and so we're closing Stadia Games Entertainment, and Jade Raymond has left so that we can focus on these other things. And everybody forgot all of the rest of that article and completely breezed by where they say over and over again. Our growing slate, of, it's clear that Stadia technology has been proven it works at scale. This has been the vision of Stadia since the beginning, to invest in Stadia and its underlying platform. In 2021, we're expanding our efforts to help game developers and publishers. We see an opportunity to work with partners. We believe this is the best path to building Stadia into a long-term business. They say it over and over again. Given our focus on building the proven technology of Stadia as well as deepening our business partnerships, we've decided that we will not be investing further in bringing exclusive content from SG&E beyond any near-term planned games. Uh, so they said it over and over again. We're here to build the platform. We're here to build the tech. We're here to have this be a gaming Platform, and we're not here to be a game creator. We are going to be awesome where we are. Then try to be awesome somewhere else. And all of these organizations and all these journalists, some somehow missed all but about three sentences of this article, where they said over and over and over again. Because the thing that got the headlines was Stadia game. Stadia shutting it down. Stadia is shutting it. Stadia Games and Entertainment. And I know that they didn't do this in. I'm going to say something might get me in trouble uh, in a journalistically ethical fashion because if they had I wouldn't have had people at my own job saying hey is Stadia closing down? I thought you'd do Stadia stuff all the time because if they had presented this instead of with the headline reading Stadia closes game development and said Stadia focuses on platform no longer producing internal games. That would be different, and of course, if you read their articles somewhere down in there, I'm sure they explain it just well. I've read several of them, but that's not what the headline says. The headline right. says Stadia shudders, blah blah blah. Right. And it, it's 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 a, it, there's a degree to which it's slightly unethical to take that route. Now, your YouTubers who have been doing this all year long, getting their getting their views up on the back of Stadia. And I'm not going to name any of them because I don't want to give them any traffic or notoriety. Of course, within minutes of this, I, I if you look at the timestamps, the Stadia post came out at 3 o'clock. By 3.30, there were people videos in front of their camera going, I told you, Stadia's gone. This is it for Stadia. This is the death nail. Stadia couldn't do it. They failed. They bad, they're bad, bad, bad. Stadia, bad, Stadia, bad because that's going to get them views not because it's right correct accurate or ethical but it's because it's going to get them views that's they don't deserve the the oxygen that they're being given there are other websites again i'm not going to get into the names but there are websites that i read on a daily basis who presented this in a very unethical fashion because they knew it would get them more clicks and to a degree Does Stadia have a PR problem here? Yeah, they do. But if you look at, I I said it today on Twitter, Stadia said everything they were going to say in that blog post. There are people who are clamoring for Google to say something more here. Google needs to address this. Google must get ahead of this. And, And what they're saying is we're afraid. We're afraid that this thing we love is going away, and we need them to calm us down. We need them to say magic words that will make us less afraid. And all I can say to people who who have that emotion is, number one, your feelings are valid. Uh, Of course your feelings are valid. You are welcome to feel fear, uncertainty, doubt about this. That's okay. But number two, go read the article again. Read the whole thing, not just the third paragraph where Stadia Games Entertainment is closing down. Read the whole thing and see that Phil Harrison, God bless him, is telling us, no, Stadia is still here. We're redirecting our energy. We're going to make it better, and we're going to continue to invest in it. The other stuff is going away, but Stadia is still here. I'll tell you right now, Google's not going to say anything else about this. I would be amazed I would be patently amazed if we see another article, if we see another public statement, if we see anything else, a video with Phil Harrison in a white room, I would be amazed if we hear anything else about this. Because they've already said everything that they needed to say in 390 words on February 1st. They said everything they needed to say and we're not going to hear anything else from them. People who are holding their breath, waiting for PR from Stadia to come out and make this all better are going to need an oxygen tank. It's just not going to happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, or er, and like they only posts in their like keyword blog. Um, I think with um the Australia um things where like Australia is having or er, trying to make creating laws.
1: regulations that will, right. yeah. I mean that's the, that's the whole so, thing. Like, this is the only... place this is the platform where the chief ex- the, the chief exec- the chief legal officer of state uh, of, of google posts news this is the place where the ceo of google sundar pichai posts news this is the place where the the senior vice presidents and executive vice presidents and c suite people post their news there's no other place that they're going to they gave them. They gave him 390 words on the same place where two articles up is Sundar Pichai, the CEO of Alphabet, a person who is making more money than God himself, is posting the news that applies to their corporate interests, things that move their stock price. They and they made this announcement one day before their uh, investors' call. They had their quarterly reports, uh, their quarterly earnings call yesterday. So yep. they knew, they knew what they were doing when they made this. They were signaling to their investors, we made a bad bet, we're clearing the table, we're resetting, we're going to do better. So it it's, it's not the end of the world. The sky did not fall.
0: Right. <laughs> and, and,
1: and, and we've heard everything we're going to hear from them on it.
0: Yeah, I I do agree with that. And I think that um, in that investor's call, um, I believe they said that Google lost like, what, 5.6 billion or so dollars in cloud, which I imagine Stadia is part of. So... I mean, it, it might,
1: it might be, we don't, we don't a hundred percent know if that's where they organize this, uh, right. but yeah, they, and, and that, that revenue is, uh, you know, they, they lost 16 billion just a few, just a couple of quarters ago. So that revenue is definitely increasing over time, but Google cloud platform is not in the black yet. So right. everything, everything that the, everywhere, the light touches on Google cloud platform, uh, is gonna be suspect And it it's gonna have the investors and the board of directors going, Okay, is that a good use of our time? Is that a good use of the trillions of dollars that we're investing here or the billions and millions of billions? That's just the nature of this
0: right um, yeah, I mean i don't um I don't buy into the whole you know the sky's falling thing um I do think that google is in this for the long run um and if it means that we're not going to get that cloud native game like sure um you know i mean yeah it's hard
1: for us to lament the loss of a thing we never even saw right we didn't have we didn't have a trailer for for a game that we're never going to get to play now so so so, it is everybody's like like you don't you never even saw you never saw the tree that guy was working on so right. like you know
0: eh. yeah i mean but um do you think that this may or a move like this may either um i guess attract um more third party developers or do you think that um a move like this may end up you know backfiring and scaring some developers away um because like that's another that's another um like talking point that we should probably address
1: yeah you know the contracts are signed so Those 400 games, uh, unless we suddenly see that 400 become 200 or 100 or whatever else, the contracts are signed. The games are development. There are, as I mentioned, it takes a long time for games to come out. So, and and I've said this before too, Stadia Uh is not in trouble. Stadia is not in trouble until the day you see an announced game for the platform pulled until you see Square Enix say, we are no longer releasing Outriders on Google Stadia, or Ubisoft say we are no longer releasing Writer's Republic on Stadia, until you hear a game that has been announced be pulled from the platform, meaning they canceled their contract, they backed out. This company had a contract, they are paying whatever penalty is in place to say we don't believe in Stadia enough to even finish the job. Until that happens, Stadia is fine. If I was a third-party studio, as i said earlier you'd look at this and go great we don't have a competitor anymore stadia is clearly not going to waste their money on that side of the fence anymore they're going to invest in the platform and you know you know the business reps at stadia are calling their 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 uh, parallels at Mm -hmm. the ubisofts and the squares and the wherever else and saying this is fine it's all good we're pressing on, you know, we're in this in the long haul. Your game's set to release in October. It's going to release in October. You know that's happening. It has to be happening all day long. Yep. So there's there's no, I, I don't see that there is a concern here for these studios. I think if Stadia was to say, if Stadia was to come out, it, that that letter would have been a lot different if Stadia was in trouble, if Stadia the platform was in trouble. That letter would have been a lot different because that letter was read by their shareholders, it was read by their investors, it was read by the industry. It was it, Capcom read that letter, EA read that letter, Ubisoft read that letter, everybody did. The CEOs of these companies pulled up blog.google and read that letter. So if this was a cause for concern, that letter would have been a lot different looking. I guarantee you, uh, CEO of Ubisoft. And the CEO of of EA and the CEO of Square and the, the these top tier titles probably got a call from Phil Harrison at some point in the past couple of weeks saying, "Hey, just so you know, we're going to be winding down Stadia Games and Entertainment. Uh, we're be, we're going to be publishing it on the first. Just wanted to give you a heads up as a as a courtesy. We're good, bro. We're good. Like those calls happened because that's what you do when you're in this industry. If it right. had been If it had not been COVID times, they would have said, hey, I'm actually flying through Montreal next week. Do you want to meet me for a beer? Let's have a chat. That's the kind of stuff that happens in these industries. So I don't think the third-party studios are going to have a problem. Uh, And the only way that we will ever know if they do is either the total number of games that were forecasted don't come out or a game that was publicly announced gets withdrawn. And until that happens... Stadia is fine. Third-party developers are still in it for the for the long haul. They wouldn't be burning they're burning cash right now. If you yeah. are EA and you didn't believe that Stadia was a place you wanted to put your games on you are burning cash right now on developers who are wasting their time now granted that might be google's cash that you're burning (laughs) if you're capcom right now you're burning google's cash but uh but you are wasting your time and their time on a platform that will not succeed you're not going to do that you're just going to take the financial penalty you're going to say we're going to give you that 10 million dollars back we're just not going to bother and we haven't heard that we have no reason to think that's happening right now
0: right um And, I mean, and we still have, like, or we still have other, like, AAA titles that are confirmed um, coming to the platform. Like, um, just hours after that blog post came out, we had um, Judgment that was being released day and date with the new gen consoles, no less. So the PS5 and the Xbox Series X and S will get Judgment, a Yakuza spinoff, on April 23rd on the PS5, Xbox Series X and S, and Google Stadia. Um, Also, FIFA
1: FIFA 21 announced the day after, like within hours of that announcement. EA said. Go ahead and release the, uh, release the information. So yep. we're, <laughs> we're good folks. We're yeah. good. We, we really are um, until we have reason to believe otherwise. And I personally don't believe we have reason to believe otherwise. I, I get it. I I'm on Twitter all day. Uh, probably shouldn't be, but I'm on Twitter all day with, with folks across the, 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 the tech community, and and I'm talking with journalists. I'm talking with people who wrote some of these articles. I'm talking with content creators who run channels that have 8,000, 10,000 subscribers. And generally speaking, everybody's fine. I don't see these folks withdrawing. I don't – Stadia Source is going to keep publishing Stadia materials until the day Stadia closes down and we write the goodbye Stadia article. Like that's – That's who we are. That's what we're doing. And I've talked to a bunch of people who've said, it's just another business decision. It's just another day in the life of a $1.3 trillion company who make choices like this all day, every day. It's just different because we're gamers. We're passionate. We're opinionated. We're loud. and, And so it feels more to us than other people. I guarantee you there are projects that were going to hit Google Drive that didn't, that got canceled and the people redirected, that nobody batted an eye at. We know there's stuff that was supposed to happen. Project Soli is a perfect example. Or, uh, no, Project Aura. In Android development, we were supposed to get completely modular phones, where if we wanted to have a better camera, we just popped out the camera and popped in a new one. And that is a project they spent five or six years on. That is now shuttered. It's gone. And it sucked for a few days for whoever was really counting on the project Aura phone to land, but it never did. And we've all moved on. And probably some of that hot swapping tech is now part of Android APIs that make it easier for develop for, for phone manufacturers to produce the next iteration of their phone. Because again, they're not just gonna scrap it all but we don't hear about that. We're never right. going to know about that. Nobody's going to write there there will be one article on Android Central that comes and goes and that's it. And it's not going to take 3 days of of Twitter funerals for Stadia to 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 to, to it's just not going to happen. So I we it's it's all going to be fine. Like, yeah. I, I, and I said that we went, we went live on Monday night, um, on our channel and, yeah. uh, we had like 70 people in there. Um, and, and Cloudy with a Chance of Games, another website that, that covers cloud gaming, they went live. They had 140, 150 people in there. Um, Eddie Player One, who is one of the, 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 uh, more prevalent, uh, Stadia content creators, search him on YouTube. He's a great guy. Uh, he yeah. went live on it, had 70, 80 people. Um, one, uh, the Gaming Advocate, another popular channel in the community, he was live this morning, had 40, 50 people. People just want to hear that it's going to be okay. They just want they want somebody else to tell them that it's all going to be okay. And that's what I said at the end of our stream. I said, it is. It's all going to be okay. We're all going to get through this. It's going to be perfectly fine. By the time this episode comes out, um, you will have seen the Stadia community rally around a message of community that we are a family regardless of whether we're playing on stadia or we're playing on luna we're playing on GeForce, we're playing on any other platform we're gamers we're the next game will come out and we'll play yeah. it wherever we have the opportunity to play it but in the technologies in, in the in the cloud gaming world in the stadia community uh, because you know i know a lot of stadia gamers listen to your show um thanks you know because you cover stadia we're gonna be fine we're gonna make it we're gonna make it to the next game we're gonna make it to the next year and if stadia dies in 20 years or it if, if stadia lives for 20 years or it dies in two we're gonna be fine we're all gonna make it we're we're all gonna make it
0: yeah um could not have said that better myself so avery i think we're gonna call it on this segment um but if you want people to find you, where can they do so?
1: No, I don't want them to find me. I'm hidden. <laughs> I'm in witness protection. No. Uh <laughs> You can find me. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Charm City A because I live in Charm City and my first initial is A. You can also find me on StadiaSource.com Your number one for- source for Stadia news and reviews. I host the Stadia Source Roundtable podcast live Thursday evenings at five PM Eastern, ten PM GMT. Uh, we also publish a semi daily, couple two three times a week um, newsfeed podcast, which is just the headlines of the day from Stadia Source. It's also in our podcast feed. So if you head to your podcast or search Stadia Source, you'll find our podcast there where you can hear the round table as a podcast or check us on youtube and you can get the news feed with stadia news in your earbuds a couple two three times a week depending on how busy the stadia news is
0: awesome and i of course will have links in the show notes for you to check out stadia source and avery's twitter he's a great guy you should definitely check him out um does great content um and yeah that's pretty much going to do it for this topic let me know what you think of the closure of stadia's first party studios and let me know what you think of the future of stadia do you think that we're going to get a lot more third party games do you think that um stadia will bounce back from this do you think that There will be just this whole the sky is falling mentality for a very long time. Whatever your thoughts are, I want to know them on social media or on Discord. We'll have links in the show notes below that subscribe or follow button, depending on what platform you're listening on. But yeah, we're going to continue the conversation there. And... That's going to do it for this topic. And we'll see you in the next one. Up next, we'll be talking about the rise of Afrofuturism in animation. Then after that, we'll get into Amazon and its relationship with anime. The Cells and Circuits podcast will be right back. This episode is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. So, I mean, it doesn't get any cheaper than that. Second, there's creation tools that'll allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. I'm editing this podcast from a Chromebook using the web, so it's pretty easy to do. Um, if I can do it, You can certainly do it. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more services. So you don't have to go to each individual podcast service and distribute it yourself. It automatically does that for you. So that's pretty awesome. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So, I mean, that's a pretty good way to make some money. Um, And then, last but not least, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So, download the free Anchor app for iOS or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M to get started or download the app for iOS or Android today. This episode is brought to you by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. It provides podcasters with a flat rate for ad space, so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p o d g o.co. And be sure to add the Cells and Circuits podcast in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application, which really helps out the show. Hey, Cells and Circuits listeners. Did you know that we now have a merch store? It's true. In partnership with Bonfire, we've launched the Cells and Circuit Shop, where you can find t-shirts, hoodies, face masks, and more. So hit the link in the show notes to visit the Cells and Circuit Shop and start getting your merch today. It really does help out the show. Thanks for your support. And now, back to the show. Welcome back, and now it's time to talk about the rise of Afrofuturism in animation. So, for those of you who don't know, Crunchyroll just announced an Afrofuturistic anime series called Dante, and it's going to be executive produced by Idris and Sabrina Elba. So, chances are you've probably heard Idris Elba's name before, at least. I don't know if you've heard his wife's name, but at least you know who Idris Elba is, so I don't really have to explain that. Plus, you can just Google it. But also, that show is going to be set in a city where biotech separates the rich from the poor, Where two of the main characters are in opposing classes, so they're on both sides of, I guess, some sort of conflict that will arise between both the rich and the poor. But, yeah, I mean, it sounds pretty interesting to me, I'm very much looking forward to it, and this is going to tie into another thing that I'll get into, but another... Afrofuturist series that was recently announced. If you listen to my segment on the Disney Investor Day highlights, you would know that Walt Disney Animation Studios is partnering with Kugali Media, which is a Pan-African company that's headquartered in, I believe, London. I'm not sure, but I think that's correct. Anyway, Disney and Kugali Media are collaborating to make an animated series based on the comic book named Iwaju. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Probably not. And someone's probably gonna take away my African card from me. But regardless, Disney and Kugali They're making a cartoon called Iwaju that's based on the comic book series of the same name. Now, what do both the Disney and Kugali series, Iwaju, and the Afrofuturistic series that Crunchyroll just announced with Idris and Sabrina Elba, which is called Dante, have in common? Well, both of them are Afrofuturist, and both of them are animated. And so... Considering that both of these series were announced in such a short period of time, I do think that we could start to see an explosion of Afrofuturistic content. And I think that's going to be awesome. If you're listening to this podcast, maybe you might feel that way too. But I'm excited for that because Afrofuturism isn't something that's been explored in mainstream media very much. And so I would love to see more Afrofuturistic stories being told and more shows and movies and even video games that talk about just African culture and myth and, and stuff like that would be awesome. But I want to get into what this could mean for animation going forward. So like I said, other studios could get in on telling Afro-futuristic stories within animation. So we could see some Western animation like the Disneys of the world. I, I expect Netflix to probably follow suit at some point. We could also see some anime that deals with Afrofuturistic stories. And, and that's just like the Crunchyroll series. And I think that would be amazing too. Because in anime, you don't really get to see a whole lot of... Well, not just representation of Black characters, but also none of them really have touched the continent of Africa at all. And and so you don't really get to see things from an African perspective in anime. I mean, Japanese anime has very thoroughly explored foreign cultures like European culture, there have been so many anime set in medieval times. And then they also visit American culture or North American culture, particularly the United States. And also with anime like Magi, they've started going into Middle Eastern culture and mythology, Arabian mythology. So, like, it just... It feels like Africa has been ignored in both Western animation and anime, and I'm hoping that these two projects, Dantai and Iwaju, can help other studios get in on telling African-centric stories. And who knows, maybe people of other ethnicities may get a better sense of what's currently going on because of the media that we could get out of these two series. Also, I could see some African animation studios start to distribute their own stories Around the world, I mean, the internet is definitely a thing. You wouldn't be hearing this podcast without it. So you have this distribution method where anyone from around the world can see your content. And all of a sudden, the idea of an African animation studio creating a television show or a movie or maybe even an African video game studio making a video game. They could distribute it across the world and make certain deals with companies like Netflix or Disney or Warner Media or Sony or any other company that's interested in distributing said content across the world. And I think that would just be awesome, especially for people across the African diaspora. To see themselves in more media. And as an African myself, I cannot wait for that to happen. I want that to happen. I hope that it happens. And I mean, yeah, that pretty much sums up my excitement for the trend that Dontai and Iwaju could cause to happen or could kick off. And yeah, I mean, I think the 2020s could be The decade where we see a lot of African-centric content or African diaspora-centric content because we could also see stories from places like the Caribbean so like jamaica or haiti or other places that aren't located directly on the african continent but definitely have their roots originate from the african continent so yeah i mean the possibilities are endless now i think that both of these series have definitely opened up the floodgates but I, of course, wanna know what you think. Do you think that Dantai and Iwaju could start off a trend of Afrofuturistic content, particularly in animation? I do wanna know what your thoughts are on social media or on Discord, and we can continue the conversation there. I will, of course, have links in the show notes right below that subscribe or follow button, depending on where you're listening on. But, yeah, that's pretty much going to do it for this topic. Up next, we'll be talking about Amazon and its relationship with anime. The Cells and Circuits podcast will return in a moment. Are you a small business looking for a financial platform to do business on? Check out Payment, the first black-owned financial platform where you can do things like sending invoices, accepting payments, and more features will be added in the future. If you watch Trigger Warning with Killer Mike on Netflix, you know that money stays within the black community for an average of six hours compared to the days and sometimes weeks that other communities get. So if you want to bring or keep money in the black community, join payment, that's P-E-Y-M-Y-N-T, at the affiliate link in the show notes today. Hey, Cells and Circuits listeners. Want to support the show without having to buy any merch? Well, you can do that by buying us a coffee. All it takes is just one U.S. dollar to help support the show. So click the link in the show notes or go to ko-fi.com slash cellsandcircuits to help make the Cells and Circuits podcast a better show for you. Alright, so finally, it's time to start talking about Amazon and its relationship with anime. So, dear Amazon, when you started Anime Strike in 2017 as an additional paywall to Amazon Prime Video to access exclusive anime content, obviously people weren't having it and you had to quickly dissolve that second paywall a year into its release. So that already wasn't really that great of a move in terms of the anime streaming business. But at least after Anime Strike was closed, you didn't just code it over with a different coat of paint and call it something new. No, y'all actually migrated your content over to regular Amazon Prime with no additional paywall. So I think that was a pretty good move. But after that, that's when things started going wrong. See, in 2016, you started an agreement with Fuji TV to exclusively stream anime from Fuji TV's block, Mina, which is an anime block that is targeted towards people who pretty much aren't young boys, so no shounen anime, pretty much. And y'all entered that agreement from 2016 to 2018, it seems. And the first show that you guys premiered as part of that deal was Kabinari of the Iron Fortress. Now, Kabinari of the Iron Fortress premiered in April of 2016, but it didn't get dubbed until 2017 after Crunchyroll and Funimation had licensed it for a home video release. And then, when that home video release came out in 2018, I believe, the dub was a home video exclusive until late 2019, when Kabaneri of the Iron Fortress, or at least the dub of it, finally got to stream on Crunchyroll, and then later on HBO Max, here in the U.S., but more importantly on Crunchyroll Worldwide because they already have the license to it. So for three and a half years, that show went without an easily streamable dub, which is a problem in the anime industry, especially now, but I'll get to that in a minute. But then in 2019... License exclusive streaming rights to great anime series like Dororo, Vinland Saga, as well as others like Blade of the Immortal and Psychopath Season 3. But unfortunately, with Blade of the Immortal, which is the only anime series to date at the time of this recording, to be labeled as an Amazon original, that show had to be sub-licensed out to a third party, which is Sentai Filmworks in this case, to receive a dub and a home video release in January of 2021, which is last month. And that was 15 months after its Japanese release. So, why do I bring up both Cabinary of the Iron Fortress and Blade of the Immortal? Well, both of these series had gone on for a very long time without an easily streamable English dub. And in a market where pretty much all of your competitors are dubbing anime very close to their initial release in Japan... That's just not good. It's not good. Funimation dubs their anime... Very close to release. Sentai dubs their anime. Very close to release. And now even Crunchyroll. A website that used to be sub only. Has now not only dubbed some of their anime. But is also starting to dub it while it's airing in Japan. Because even Crunchyroll sees dubbed anime as a way to attract more fans into the anime fandom. So Amazon, why haven't you started dubbing your exclusive shows? Because in a world where the window between an anime's Japanese release and its English release is now weeks, sometimes months, Especially in the case of Netflix, but at least Netflix has the excuse of having to dub anime in many different languages across the world. Amazon, you don't have that excuse because y'all didn't even bother to dub any of the anime that you exclusively streamed. So what is the reason for their to be a years-long gap between the anime's subtitled release and its dubbed release on streaming. That shouldn't be the case, Amazon. Every one of your competitors is dubbing anime very close to its Japanese release date. But you guys aren't. You're the only one that sticks out like a sore thumb I don't know why. And that begs the question, are y'all serious about anime? Because from a PR perspective, or from an anime fan's perspective, do I think you guys are serious about anime? No, I don't. Why? Because y'all don't dub anime in any language, despite being a service that's available worldwide, You haven't streamed any dubs of your formerly exclusive anime. So far, there's no dub of Kabaneri of the Iron Fortress on Amazon Prime, despite that same dub being available on services like Crunchyroll and HBO Max. Y'all aren't streaming the Blade of the Immortal dub, despite that Dub now being released under Sentai Filmworks and being home video exclusive now because y'all decided to not put it on your website, even though Blade of the Immortal is labeled as an Amazon original anime, the first and only anime so far that has been labeled an Amazon original. And y'all don't dub it? Seriously? Like, what? <laughs> why, Amazon? Why? And also, when dubs come out by a third party studio, they come out years after the show's original release. So, why is that the case in a world where simul dubs exist? Why are you, Amazon, a trillion-dollar company incapable of releasing anime dubs as it airs in Japan? You clearly have the resources to do it. Y'all are owned by the richest man on earth, for crying out loud. Why can't y'all do this? And so my suggestion... To you, Amazon, to rectify this situation is if y'all don't know how to dub your exclusive anime in-house, partner with a studio that does. Like maybe Bang Zoom or NYAV Post or even Sentai. Because Sentai would probably love to have a contract if they get to dub shows like Vinland Saga or Dororo. Shows that people love that are exclusive to Amazon Prime. I'm sure... Companies would be very much willing to dub those anime, but they can't because you guys have the rights to it, and y'all don't seem to want to do anything beyond just streaming it with the subtitles, which, don't get me wrong, streaming with subtitles is great and all, but... Some people would rather watch the anime dubbed without having to read any subtitles. And right now, your exclusive anime effectively aren't accessible to those people. So, Amazon, I really hope that you take the time to rectify this anime streaming situation that you guys find yourselves in. I hope that you guys can take the anime market more seriously as other companies are starting to do like Sony, which at the time of this recording is in the process of acquiring Crunchyroll and already owns Funimation. And then you also have WarnerMedia, which has a dedicated Crunchyroll section on their streaming service hbo max and then you have hulu which right now has a contract with funimation to stream anime that's been licensed from that studio so the whole only streaming the subtitle thing and then locking down the streaming rights and shutting out your competitors for one two three years that isn't gonna cut it in the age of simul dubs. I'm sorry, but it's not. You're gonna have to do better, Amazon. And I will definitely continue to call you out until you do. But that about wraps that up for this segment. Let me know what you think of Amazon and its relationship with anime. Are you perfectly fine with the way Amazon streams their anime? Or would you like Amazon to do better with how it handles its exclusive anime. Let me know what your thoughts are on social media or on Discord, and we can continue the conversation there. But that is going to do it for this topic. Thank you so much for listening to the Cells and Circuits podcast, the place for tunes, tech, and where they intersect. Let me know what you think of any of the topics discussed on social media or on Discord via the flow page link in the show notes. If you like this content, share it on social media and give it a review to help more people find it. If you want to see even more content just like this, consider supporting Cells and Circuits on Coffee or visiting the Cells and Circuits shop. The Cells and Circuits podcast was written, produced, and edited by me, Chibeze Anakor. Our intro, outro, and transition music was made by Tiffy3. That'll do it for this episode. So until next time, I'm Chibaze, signing off.